You want to book as much acting work as you can, as often as you can. We get that. The thing is, you don't book acting work by focusing on booking acting work. The industry is more dynamic than that. The art is more interesting than that. By taking you inside the craft, the casting room, and the business, and bringing other industry experts into the conversation, we dig in. We pull back the curtain of the industry and show you how much power you really have as an artist. Here's the truth. When you bring your humanity to the work and the industry, you become an artistic leader, the kind of actor who books work. Even after decades of working with actors all over the world, in our classes at the BGB studio, teaching, coaching, casting, directing, producing, acting, on set, on stage, behind the camera, and in front, nothing excites us more than seeing you express your unique artistic voice, humanize the business, and book work doing it. We're here on the podcast in our online classes at the BGB studio to give you all the tools you need to be a championship level working actor right now in an industry that desperately needs your voice and your leadership. Yeah, industry and artistry. This is the only place you're gonna hear this. I'm Risa. And I'm Steve. And this is the acting podcast from the BGB studio. In the midst of this time of great uncertainty and upheaval for actors across the globe, and as the film and television industry slowly reopens, it is paramount for actors to be aware of new onset protocols, how to advocate for yourselves in every area of your work and careers, including having a voice in your union, and how to keep your creative spirits alive. In that vein, we are thrilled to welcome to the Acting Podcast two very special guests who have a ton of information to help navigate this unsettling time and offer wholehearted support, which we love. Gabrielle Carteris is the president of SAG-AFTRA, previously serving two terms as executive vice president. Gabrielle became a household name playing Andrea Zuckerman on Beverly Hills 90210 and recently starred in BH 90210, a revival of the iconic show. Her extensive resume includes work in television, film, and on stage, with recent credits including a recurring role on Code Black and guest starring roles on Criminal Minds, Make It or Break It, The Event, Longmire, and The Middle. As a producer, she created Life Stories, a series of specials, and Gabrielle, a talk show that she also hosted. In her role as SAG-AFTRA president, Gabrielle chairs the National TV Theatrical Contracts Negotiating Committee and leads the President's Task Force on Education, Outreach, and Engagement. She is a vice president of the AFL-CIO, serving on the Executive Council, and represents SAG-AFTRA with the International Federation of Actors. Well, that's a lot to say and a lot to do, even for us. Duncan Crabtree Ireland is Chief Operating Officer and General Counsel of SAG-AFTRA. He is a co-chair of the Board of Trustees of the AFM and SAG-AFTRA Intellectual Property Rights Distribution Fund, a member of the boards of Sound Exchange and the SAG-AFTRA and Industry Sound Recordings Distribution Fund, a delegate to the International Federation of Actors, and he teaches international law as an adjunct professor at the USC California Law School. He is a past treasurer of the Los Angeles County Bar Association, a past co-president of the LGBT Bar Association of Los Angeles, and serves by appointment as a judge pro tem of the Los Angeles Superior Court. He is currently the safety and reopening lead for SAG-AFTRA, working with specialists in the science and medical fields to advocate for and ensure a safe reopening for actors and everyone in the industry. Impressive. 
welcome Gabrielle and Duncan. So welcome to this uh, virtual conversation. And uh, we're so, so, so glad to meet with you guys, especially in the light of everything that's been happening with you. Uh, we'd love to know how where you're at with all that, like just emotionally and, and humanly in everything that you've been through lately in, in all of this SAG um, negotiation and ultimate uh, resolution, or at least tell us if it is. A, a resolution in terms of what we're doing with COVID or with the contract that we just negotiated? Well, let's, we can jump into either one. Okay. Well, for COVID, I mean, this, you know what, it's, I don't, I found this to, to be a really surreal time. I, you know, I, for me, I'm actually been really worried about, uh, I'm worried about our members. I am, I'm, you know, this has been a, an incredible process working with the other unions and the studios to try to create a safer way back to work. But, um, you know, it's just everything's changing every day. And so we just keep trying to follow the science and make sure that people feel empowered in some way in this kind of uncontrollable situation to feel that they have some self-determination, they can understand what's available to them, that they have support. But it's, uh, I know it's been a really, it's just, it's a painful, painful unknown time for a lot of people. And so, you know, it, it's not lost on me that, uh, and you even say this in the mission statement, right, that like the unions were formed uh, out of the strife of the 1930s and like, and here we are again, right? So um, I don't envy your position, you know, protecting 160,000 folks or so in these really challenging times. How do you, and this is more of a personal question, how do you navigate your own emotional life, even as an artist in all this, and also advocate for those people? How do you do both? How do you fill the tank so you can do both? Well, you know, first of all, I am the members, right? So the, my leadership doesn't depend on my just being a leader, but actually working with everybody. So there's incredible member support and conversation. So I think part of it is making sure that we're all talking together because it's then it's, it doesn't bear on me, but it's all of us together and how we get there. Personally, I do a lot of yoga and yeah, yeah. I, I ride my bike and I try to take moments when I feel that things are the craziest is the time when I really need to, uh, to breathe and to take a moment. I give more when I give to myself a little bit, I have more to give, but it's really, I have to tell you, the members are incredible incredibly inspirational, the work to be with the members, to have the conversations, to see that we're not alone, I think has been very helpful to everybody. You know, when you feel isolated and you feel like it's only you, that's more painful. And when you start to really talk about what's going on and share it, I think that it frees people up to say, this is our journey together. It's our plight to find a way through. And that's how, for me, I mean, I don't know, you know, Duncan, you know, being somebody who literally is balancing so many different things with our union and trying to make sure that we have it. I don't know where he's finding that time. And that would be a good thing for you to say how you do it, Duncan, because that's what I do. But well, you know, I mean, <laughs> I think it's a challenge for all of us to, to try and balance these things. And obviously, I'm not a I'm not an actor, haven't been since eighth grade, but um, I am married to one. And I have uh, several kids who are moving in that direction uh, as performers. So I think we're all just uh, doing our best to find small ways to step back and sort of whether that's, uh, you know, just sit outside and enjoy the outside for a while or just, you know, turn off the phone for a minute or, uh, you know, play a video game or it just <laughs> depends, watch a movie. Um, you know, 
obviously regrettably not in theaters yet, but, um, but at home uh, with family or, or cook, I think a lot of us are doing things that, that maybe we didn't have time to do before and just kind of finding the time to do it. Um, so for me, that's, that's really what it is because it's a, Basically, for for me, I'm spending most of my time working on reopening related issues, and uh, between that and just finding some personal time with the family, et cetera, um, that's that's pretty much what there is right now. Yeah, sure. Now that makes sense. Uh, And Gabriel, you you know, you spoke of um, the solidarity ultimately throughout all this, which you know that's sort of the core. That's a foundation of of union of the of the membership, and so uh, um, perhaps even on a national level, it would be so great if we had more solidarity through all this, uh, so that we could fight together. Um, And 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 so moving then to these regulations, you spoke of how things are changing so dramatically. How how is it then that you come up with? Um, some sort of codified, this is what it will take, and this is what we're going to demand for our actors um, and and our members uh, when the scientists can't even get on the same page about things. How do you codify that? Well, first of all, it's, it's, it's evolving, right? Because this is the, this is the, the, the virus that nobody, we never anticipated it really, and nobody's experienced it. So when you say that the scientists don't know, it's transforming, so we actually continue to transform with them. So we're initially there, you know, as, as we start to discover more about this virus and the information on how to best, you know, to have, again, not this, you can never be safe until there's a, you know, um, uh, you know, the, a, a cure. But in knowing that, what are the things that we can do preventively? And we're, we're learning every day. You know, we're seeing that when you wear masks, they thought initially that wasn't really a key uh, aspect. We're seeing now wearing masks it is, you know, the PPEs are very, very important. So, you know, when we're designing this with the other unions and the studios and working with the epidemiologists and all the different science leader, you know, leaders in science, we actually talk about what are we finding right now and how do we implement that in, um, in the protocols that we're putting forward to make sure that people can go back to work in a safer way, right? What are those things? So it, I don't think they don't know. We do know. We've discovered and we're going to continue discovering. And so we need everybody to kind of continue listening to the research as we bring it forward. Watch, you know, they have, we have, uh, they, people can go onto our site to see the protocols that are put forward. Those will change as we, or expand as we learn more. And I hope that truly that we can come to a place where we find a cure and that won't be the question. But, I, you know, the be- most important thing for people to know that this is a safer way back to set to work. And I know people want to go back to work. I mean, people are really struggling financially and people are afraid. There are other people who do not want to go back to work. They're saying, I don't want to go back until I know it's safe. So we need people to know they have self-determination. But that being said, we really need people to, um, to be able to take as much information as they can and to, and to be responsible that we, we actually, it's really important, you know? So this, there's, I, that's, I don't know how else to say it. There's the protocols that we have. There's no way to go back to set safe. There's no safe way. There's only a safer way. We're not pretending that we have the answer. We're just giving tools to make sure that we can help be preventative and protective of the members when they work. And, and Steve, to your point, I mean, I think there's actually not that much disagreement among the scientists. I mean, the differences that the epidemiologists have between them are minor compared to the problem of people who just 
refuse to cooperate with safety protocols or who think the virus is a hoax or, you know, obviously a lot of people are getting this information from various sources in our society and culture that really aren't science-based. And one of the things that I think we can be really proud of is all of the protocols that the unions have put together, they're 100% science-based. Every union, including SAG-AFTRA, has retained epidemiologists, like really highly qualified uh, top-notch epidemiologists to advise us. They're all working together. And I think it's also really uh, tremendous that Gabrielle and the leaders of the other uh, unions have come together to handle this in a, in a joint manner. I mean, it's unprecedented. And I think it really shows the power that the unions have working together and how unique and critical the situation is. I mean, to have sag after the DGA, the IA, and the Teamsters all sitting in a room together um, uh, proposing and pushing forward joint protocols that have been mutually agreed and signed off by the epidemiologists. I think that has a lot of, it really says a lot to the industry about this is not business as usual. This is not normal times. This is a life and death situation. And we're all deeply committed to making sure that these protocols are adopted and implemented across sets throughout the industry. I I love that you're saying that. So if I'm, I'm the actor sitting at home, um, thinking, what what do I really have available to me if I decide to go to work um, or if I'm invited to go to work? What do I do and how am I the safest? Do you have a couple of just layman things that you or laywoman things that you can share with us that people can really grasp onto so they have an understanding of what that really looks like? Because I hear these conversations all the time, you know, and, and, and you guys are so inside it. We really, our audience is as you know, completely actor-based. And a lot of people, are they don't know, they don't understand. And they wh- whatever they feel, they just want something to grasp onto. Right. I, well, if they go on to work, these are the things to find out who your COVID-19 supervisor is. Every set will have one. You know, and ask, you know, prior, you're able to ask, what are the protocols being put in place? We want to know because there is a standard and people might approach those standards in certain ways, but, you know, ask those questions. If you're not sure, you can even follow up to call the union, but you want to go, when you go on to a set, initially, you want to make sure, A, you're seeing that there's proper distancing taking place. You know, these are just observations you see. We have zones where all the actors are in zone A, and then we have a zone B and a zone C, depending on where you are in the in the production in terms of crew or, you know, who's interfacing with the actor every second versus the people who don't need to be. They can have safe distancing. Just check out your environment. Are they, do you feel that there's, a, again, an observance of, you know, uh, the, that idea that, that there's been a, a, a distancing protocol put in place? Are people who are not in front of the camera wearing the proper, uh, you know, masks? If you're feeling like they're not, you know, you're feeling like there's a crossover, talk to the COVID-19 supervisor. Make sure, again, to reach out to the union. The other unions are there also with the same protocols. That's why what Duncan is saying was really key. If we had done something without the other unions, what would our leverage really be in that moment? But the idea that we've all agreed upon what it looks like, it needs to look like, really allows us to enforce it. So if there's something where you're saying, I am seeing constant, you know, constantly things that just are not following the what would be good sense protocols, you can look online to see what, you know, is expected. But I'm just seeing that then that allows you actually to reach out, know you'll have that support because we're all interfacing together. And so we'll stand together if it becomes a, a situation where there's just there, uh, 
things are not properly being handled, we're not going to go and out the actor who says something, right? This is confidential, but we will make sure that however we need to get somebody on set to make sure that it's being enforced, if it's not being enforced, we can close a set down. I mean, you know, we've done it. Uh, in the past one, because initially there were sets that were actually not following the protocols of what we know is a safer set. And, um, but I think the best thing is that people actually know, right? You intuitively know this is, this is messy. There, everybody's touching each other. The food, there shouldn't be food that's opened. There's, and all those things that make you feel safer. And I think you just have to trust that and make sure you're communicating. And I don't know, Duncan, if you would want to add anything on that. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> I think you covered a lot of it, Gabrielle, really, really well. I mean, the one thing that I would just mention is I is testing is really important for a safer set for performers, and that's because I mean, it's important for everybody, but it's especially uh, important for performers because performers are going to have to work at times without any protective equipment and without physical distancing because of the nature of the job, and so. Um, so I think it, it's it's important to understand that that is there for everyone's protection. I know there are some people who don't really like the idea of getting tested. I know there are people who might be resistant to it or whatever. We're doing our best to expand the testing methodologies um, so that there's as many options as possible for testing, um, not just the uh, not much beloved nasopharyngeal swab, but also things <laughs> like oral oral swabs and, and so-called spit tests, things like that. Um, but really, fundamentally, um, I want to make sure that everybody understands that the reason for testing is to protect workers on the set and especially to protect performers. Because if you can pull someone out of the environment before they get there because they're positive for COVID, that prevents potentially many transmissions of the disease on set. And in fact, we've seen that happen uh, already with productions that have been testing where they have actually been able to identify COVID positive uh, individuals before they came to set and likely prevented many infections as a result of it. Um, it's not just anecdotal though, um, in the safe uh, return to work document that's posted on our website at sagafter.org slash back to work, um, there's a part two that goes into all the science behind this. And I know it's a lot and I mean, I never, th you know, I always liked science, but I never thought I was going to be working on a PhD in epidemiology. But, um, and I know performers, you know, performers are about performing. So I understand that everyone doesn't want to become an expert on this. But for people who are interested in the details, it's very transparent. It's out there. I encourage everybody to look at part two of that document in particular. It lays out all the reasoning behind testing because um, it is really important that we're all behind the testing program. If we only test some people, it's not going to work. We've right. got to really have that robust testing in place. And with it, um, the science says that there will be a dramatic reduction in the likelihood of people getting sick as a result of working on set. And I think what's even, so I guess there's a through line to that, right? So if the, though people may be hesitant, if they practice really on a regular basis, the testing protocols that are being put forward, that could allow our industry to not only start, but to actually expand and continue. Because the biggest fear is, you know, as we start to open up the industry, if people start getting sick nonstop, then we're going to have to close it again. Right. And the idea is that we want people to get back to work. We want them to do it in the safest way possible. So if we practice what we're learning here and make that for everybody. Nobody is exempt. The idea that we all do it together, that really allows what everybody is so important to all of us. We look at, you know, Risa, how great you said, you know, things are good and you're doing the work, you know, you're working right now. You didn't know that how it would be, but there are, you know, 
studios that haven't been able to open yet. There are members who are, you know, their shows have been, you know, pushed and pushed and pushed. People who are not auditioning because the, the, there's not availability, there's concern. When is it going to be? So if we can, as an, as an institution, as an industry, as, you know, as a community, not just SAG-AFTRA, but all of us together in this, in this community of uh, uh, performing or in the arts or whatever, if we could come together and coalesce and really practice the same thing together, we have the best chance of moving forward. And in the end, this you know, sci-fi experience that's taking place in our lives, we can actually help to shift it. And I think that that in the end is, we don't have much power, but we do have that. So the actual testing then, that, that means the, the protocol suggests that everyone on a set is going to be tested regularly. Yes. Right. And, and how often, just based on getting the results back, however many days it takes to get results back, how often are people tested on a set, let's say? Well, actors, if they're, you know, if you're there for a week, then it's ideally three times. So you're, it's almost every two days. And if that's in zone A, anybody who exists in zone A, then we're talking about there's, you know, what would be for the crew and the others. It could be depending on their proximity and how they do it. They might be once a week. But what's very important is the people who are together, particularly for the performers who are not wearing any of the, you know, when they're on set, unless it's a medical show, they're not wearing the protective equipment. They need to be able to have a much more frequent testing and be in an isolated situation so they're not exposed to any potential uh, outsiders who may have it. And we that's really going to be the way we're doing it. We're really looking also at trying to uh, say to people, if you're really ready to go back, you have to find, you have to find those uh, medical resources that will, you know, be able to supply. And now there's some things opening up, you know, where people, I know for one thing I was doing with Quibi, they actually had a concierge a medical person who was able to go and do all the testing for everybody and have it, you know, it was approved testing, whatever. And, you know, they had it within a couple of days. These are, these are the things that are going to have to happen. And, and the smaller productions, they're also finding ways to do it. We're trying to make sure it's covered in all aspects of our work. But, you know, that's the challenge, right? We're seeing they're developing more and more testing. And sometimes it sounds like there's not going to be enough testing because they just want it for the, the emergency care workers, frontline workers. But we know that there are private organi- you know, enterprises that are actually um, making those tests available. So that's just going to be the, that's just really the, uh, it's as hard as it is, it's the only way for us to really know. But it's good to, it's good to, it's good to know that and hear that. I mean, this is just something to, to grasp onto. Uh, but just a question in that, Duncan, also before, before you continue, is that, is that going to be provided by productions or studios or networks or financiers? So that actors know, I mean, other departments as well, but that actors know that they will be taken care of and they don't have to go search it out and pay for it and all that. Right. The production is responsible for both making the arrangements and also absorbing the cost of any kind of testing that would be done. Um, And and actually, we haven't gotten a a lot of pushback on that from anybody. I think producers uh, sort of intuitively know that that would be part of their production costs and not something that they could reasonably um, push off on anybody. The only other thing I just wanted to mention is, um, is, like Gabrielle said, there's so much rapid development of technology here. There are new rapid tests that are becoming available now. 
Um, the equipment has a bit of a cost to it, but once you've got the equipment in place, the individual per unit test cost is very low. Um, and the results can be available very quickly, less than an hour. So, so we really feel like as this testing capacity develops, um, along with the industry reopening, that there will be enough capacity. There, there'll be glitches. There will be times when there are challenges in finding the right um, testing capacity for a given project. But we think overall there will be um, enough testing uh, capacity to do this. And our, our epidemiologists across all of the unions also uh, agree with that. So, so that's, and, it, and we just feel like it's so essential to the safe set because without it, it's really hard to know what kind of risk you're exposing yourself to um, performing without PPE. And I mean, imagine being expected to do an intimate scene and not having any indication if the other people who are participating in that scene with you might potentially be positive for COVID and just not symptomatic. And particularly in a situation where, as you mentioned, uh, we're in financial hardship just now. And so there uh, there are significant external forces that might be uh, pushed against an actor to to disregard their discomfort with the situation. So, and historically, this industry has not necessarily been mindful of uh, an actor's comfort level oftentimes. It's suck it up and do the thing. So for an actor in that situation, let's say, or uh, an actor who's historically been excluded from the industry who may not feel agency, I'm talking about you know, women, people of color, LGBTQ plus actors who are on set within the structure that is high paced, fast paced, high stakes, the director's saying, do this, do this. What do you tell that actor who doesn't feel the agency, but is seeing things all around them, how and where and when do they say, I can't, no, this needs to stop? I think if somebody's feeling, I always say to somebody, you know, and we're working on this because we want our members to understand their power, right? In the power of our voices. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your job if you say this doesn't seem right. It's, but in that being said, um, you know, the great thing about our smartphones is if you're really feeling at risk and you don't feel that you have the ability, reach out to the union. We have, there's, you know, a hotline to call uh, regarding COVID-19. You can reach out uh, into the, uh, there's a, and it'll be available to you on the set so you can know where to go, you know, to call. I would say call that line and let let the people on the other side help you through that so that you're not carrying that weight. But the truth is, and this is the hard part, Steve, you know, we can put everything in place. If people, and I understand what fear is, so I don't want to, you know, belittle that in any way. But the truth is that fear doesn't mean that it's true. And that if you don't speak out, we cannot know. And if we cannot know, we cannot fix. I mean, it's just, there's, there is no in between with that. I, you know, so I understand exactly what you're saying. But, you know, somewhere we all have to have, we have to find that voice, even if it's because we have to find it by asking somebody else to help us. We can't, if it's not shared, you know, so many times historically when I've heard about things, like I can't believe I was on a show and something happened and I, did you ever report it? I never did. And I'm so mad at the union. And I'm like, but, but we didn't even know. Like the the union didn't know if you didn't report it, right? So we that that is a relationship that we are constantly looking to nurture and build and reach out because the union is the members is there it doesn't exist by itself and the members need to use their voice during the time so that we can go and help to support and it's 
I know it's hard. Look, I've been in situations when I've been on set. I must tell you, and I, I always try to be respectful. I don't think you have to be the, you know, bombastic about it, but I'll say this is just really, I had something that had happened. This is very uncomfortable. Is there another way that we can do this where I'm not feeling safe? I don't believe this is the proper protocol here. I'm looking on that. That's why we write these things out because people can refer to it. My union has stated this and I just, I can't, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. So, you know, please adhere to this or it's going to, I just have to, you know, there's a million ways or to, to go with it, but people need to know that it cannot change unless they participate. That's just the bottom line. It's important to also remember we're all in the same boat. I mean, the, the Directors Guild has been one of the most outspoken proponents of the testing program that we're talking about. And as Gabrielle knows, I don't want to identify these people by name, but one of the top film directors in the industry, along with one of the top television directors in the industry, have been personally advocating for the testing uh, protocols that we've been talking about. So I guess I, I guess what I would just add to that is there are allies on set besides uh, only within the actor community, and um, and really that's that's exemplified by the DGA, IA, Teamsters, uh, and SAG-AFTRA all being together on these protocols. And so I think there's allies beyond the traditional allies right now to stand with you. If, if something is unsafe for, for one, it's probably unsafe for a whole bunch of others as well. But I, I do hope people will hear that um, if they need to, and actually regardless of whether they need to, they should reach out to the union and let us know because that's how we can both fix the problem in that moment and also be alerted to broader trends that might develop so we can proactively catch them before they happen. Two things come to mind. One is you've talked both of you extensively about the cooperation among unions, and maybe that will translate to actual work on set, you know, because it has been divided and actors have been very much outside of the crew because often actors are coming in as guest actors and they don't on television shows or on films and they don't have a voice or any advocacy and they're coming very slowly onto a very fast moving train and they don't know how to be and they just want to you know be liked or get it right and even directors I'm a member of the DG and I've gone to a couple of those um, online meetings and people are afraid to like rock the boat and I think that's what happens and just even hearing you say things like an actor can call their union I don't know that actors even think to do that like doesn't like I'll pay my dues and I'll read the stuff and I'll vote and yada yada but to actually believe that you can make that call and that it can make a difference is huge you know and it speaks to how do you have advocacy because it, it, it a lot of the stuff that you were fighting for in this particular contract also speaks to actors having a voice and advocacy when it comes to a number of things and intimacy and, 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 and all that. We can talk about that in a second, but, but the fact that um, it, it's, it's tough because you, you want to be, you don't want to be the squeaky wheel. I know. We've, it's, all, you know, we've all been there, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard, you know, we all think it's our last job and, you know, I want them to like me so they'll hire me again and I want to do well. And I don't, again, I don't want to be the squeaky wheel because, but I, I have, I guess it's about rethinking, you know, Risa, you know, if we've learned anything, not to define ourselves in a negative way when we're speaking up, right? We're not, I just, I don't think it has to be a terrible thing. And I, I look back on the times that I could have spoken up and I did not did it really serve me? Did it change anything that I didn't? And when I have spoken up, did it change anything or hurt? And I can only say I've spoken up and never been reprimanded for it. 
I just never have. And I can't say that people don't, it doesn't happen, but I do think it's the way it's done. And I think that there are more advocates out there for you than you realize. And I, and I think with awareness, people are even more open to hear now than they've ever heard before, right? People are listening and watching more and, but I, it's a process. I think it's about communicating. It's in like every relationship, what I really, it's clear. The only time the good things happen is when we're communicating and when it's just, there's no other way to get through anything unless we're doing that. And I wonder also whether it behooves uh, people of privilege who understand that they have that privilege on a set, for instance, to under, to also understand that, to your point, Gabrielle, that if if this doesn't get dealt with, on some individual set somewhere, that means the potential exists that we could shut down again so that it behooves that person in particular to to speak up and know that they're speaking up for members who do not feel that or have that agency or who believe that their career will end or they won't be able to pay their rent if they speak up. So uh, again, this notion of solidarity and understanding your place in that I think is important as yes. well. So, so um, Reese, unless you have anything else on this, let's. I want to chat about auditions and what that will look like within the context of these protocols. And uh, and and clearly, you know, Zoom is viable for auditions now. Um, but but the protocols are interesting and look like plexiglass screens. And you know, there's one actor here and one actor down the hall. And um, and and we're walking in with PPE. And how does that even work an in-person audition? Do you think? Well, why don't you tell us, you guys are actually, <laughs> how does it work for you? Because, you know, these are just, these are protocols to help for, you know, a safer way to work together. It's to protect you as well as the actors and everybody there. How does it work for you? I know a lot of actors are experiencing the Zoom audition now. I think that, you know, that's going to be, you know, hopefully a face-to-face -face Zoom audition instead of just us taping them. But uh, how has it been for you? I, I, you know, Auditioning is happening on Zoom and in various other platforms. I know that many casting directors, and we've been talking about this through the CSA, um, Casting Society of America, <clears throat> are trying to figure this out. And we're, you know, nobody really has the answer to that. You know, the studios and networks are, are trying to understand this Zoom space that Steve and I have become incredibly comfortable in, in terms of doing our creative work. And you guys are living in this as well with whatever virtual background you choose. But it's, so we're, we're seeing beautiful, powerful personal work happening in this space and hoping to uh, bring that into virtual auditions. What what I'm seeing and hearing is also that um, directors are able to interface with actors in, in ways like we almost took a step back from that with this whole self-tape thing. And now what I'm trying to encourage and what I think is starting to happen is directors are realizing they can actually, and, and writers and showrunners, can enter this virtual space and engage with actors in a way that they have been removed from for the last right. year. So maybe... Great, because actors have been hope. dying for that, right? Yeah. We've been, we, I can speak for myself, but... So many actors who've come to me, they hate doing the self-tape. It's just so, we're, we're self-directing, we're self-shooting, we're self, and it becomes, it's almost like it takes away from the work. So the idea that you're encouraging that, I want to say thank you. Everybody's going to be so happy to hear this because the idea of being able to have a face-to-face -face on a Zoom with the writer, the producers, the, you know, the directors to be able to have a creative experience in this, that's, you know, if you're going to talk about the silver linings that come out of a, yeah. a terrible time, maybe that's one of those things. Yeah. And, and also, I will say, because I am a big advocate of the self-tape, and we teach that a lot at the studio, 
And that's one silver lining is how to do a self-tape in this space where you actually are showing up more fully than you ever have before, even more easily than in a room because you're often going into a room and reading for a casting associate who can't give you direction. So learning to self-direct, learning to do this in a different way, to redefine what the self-tape is, is also a huge step forward into this new space. But I'm curious what you guys are hearing. And, you know, we're hearing that auditions, in-person auditions are probably not coming back for a very long time. What are you hearing? There have been a couple, though. No, you're right. There probably won't be. I've heard that. But there have been a couple. And when people have gone in, there's been it's been very restrictive. You have to stay outside. Uh, even in the building, you're not waiting in the waiting room. You come in, they're taking temperatures, making sure you're washed, that you wear the, the mask. Um, and... Uh, you know, it's become, it's, it's so complicated in a way. I think that oh, people are choosing to do more what, if, what you're saying, but Duncan might be hearing even more on it. No, I mean, that's, uh, I completely agree with you, Gabrielle. That's what we're, what we're hearing. And I think from a protocols point of view, what we're just concerned about is making sure people don't, that everyone's not only thinking about the set and ignoring the other places where um, where there could be risk and where appropriate measures need to be in place. And that's, I think, why there's what you mentioned, Risa, you know, with plexiglass barriers and things like that in the event that in-person auditions are required because obviously testing is really not going to be feasible for an audition type setting. So, so that's, that's that, but we certainly have been strongly supporting virtual auditions. I'd say it's almost a requirement to do initial like first rounds of auditions virtually. It's not quite a requirement, but it is very, very strongly encouraged and really to minimize uh, even callbacks or second uh, and third auditions, um, try to do as many of those as, uh, virtually as possible as well, just because it creates risk. And if you're the producer, you you know, risk is bad for everybody. Um, and hopefully everybody on a human level wants to help protect each other from potentially getting, um, getting ill. Although I know we've seen some contrary examples on social media, but um, but also from a business perspective, it's not great for a producer to invest a lot of time, money, and resources in finding the perfect cast. And then through that very process, results in them getting infected and the project can't go forward, especially in projects like commercials and things like that that cast at the last minute. So um, so we're really strongly encouraging virtual auditions and, and at every level possible uh, for now. And hopefully, as Gabrielle said at the beginning, hopefully we'll get to a place where there's a cure or a vaccine or something that will allow us to go back. But for now, our sort of mantra is this is not business as usual. Um, and business practices that have become commonplace over many years uh, really sometimes do have to change in order to provide the kind of safety that all of us have a right to expect as just human beings. But to be clear, the protocols are the same, whether it's a wardrobe fitting or a read-through or a whatever that is in and around uh, your work and your set. So those same protocols are in place. And also actors can make those calls to unions for support if they need, if they're not getting what they need or they feel unsafe. Is that correct? That's 100% correct. If, yeah. if there's any kind of COVID violation, we consider that an on-set safety uh, emergency. We have a 24-hour hotline at 844-SAFER-SET. 
um, that any member can or any performer working on one of our projects can call and we can respond <clears throat> to those concerns in real time. I do want to just mention uh, we've just recently published with and jointly with the IA a set of protocols for hair, makeup, wardrobe, and props. They're available on our website at sagaftra.org slash back to work. And it goes into great detail about precisely how um, wardrobe, for example, should be handled. And I think one of the things, again, I hate to keep, you know, hitting on this point, but I think the fact that it's a joint protocol that the IA, which obviously represents all of the wardrobe people and SAG-AFTRA are releasing just goes to show how much emphasis has been placed on these protocols really being practical um, and being adopted by everyone. So it's not like a performer should have to go in there and argue with the you know wardrobe people about following the protocols. This protocol came from them and us together and has been pushed forward by them and us together uh, because we all believe in it. And that's the same when you see makeup and hair. You know, we've worked with the unions that represent those members so that we can make sure, again, it's a unified voice. We all understand it together so we can all support each other. And, and that's like, I mean, if the federal government has taught us anything, it's that <laughs> when you don't have solidarity and you're fractured, then this thing, uh, this it spikes, right? So right. that's so important. But tell me this. So let's say an actor gets a job in Vancouver, for instance, because things are opening up there. They're working with uh, actors from different unions. Is the solidarity across uh, national borders also? It really is. Um, the leadership, you know, Gabrielle and the leadership of SAG-AFTRA have been in contact with and in discussions with the leadership of ACTRA and UBCP, particularly in British Columbia. And in fact, uh, we've been having meetings with them. We just had one last week to discuss the details of testing protocols, et cetera. There are some slight variations on protocols, really mainly driven by the fact that the law is a little bit different in Canada. Um, and the uh, workplace regulations are a little bit different, but it's really very, very similar. So the you know, U.S. performers going to work on a project in Canada, whether it's covered by SAG-AFTRA or whether it's covered by ACTRA and UBCP with a global rule one side letter, can expect that there will be testing. Uh, they can't expect that there'll be a zone system. They can expect that there'll be a COVID supervisor. I mean, all those key pieces um, that they would I'm expect sure. here will be in place there. There may be some slight variation in the in the testing schedule, um, but it wouldn't be very, it would be minor uh, if there is any difference at all. Yeah, fair enough. And, and, uh, and, I mean, I, I suspect I know the answer to this, but like I, I just feel on behalf of the the actors that are watching or listening, it's so important to underline this. So even if they're doing the Hallmark movie in Utah or going to Atlanta or New York, or like across the country, even though there might be disparate offices and maybe even uh, have a different point of view, let's say, about the contract or the agreements or whatever else, that on this issue, you can expect um, that solidarity and and that same those same protocols. Yes. Yeah. Cool. yeah. All of the unions are pursuing this from a national perspective. All of the protocols that we're uh, jointly putting forward are national in scope. And the one thing that I would just say is, um, you know, uh, regrettably, the one area where that's not true is if you're working on a non-union project. And if you are working on a non-union project, for whatever reason, you now are basically going to have to hope that your, you know, state health officials or your local health officials have put, a, you know, protocols in place that can protect you. Because obviously, as much as we would like to 
make rules that apply across all types of productions. Um, you know, the union's authority yet. doesn't extend beyond projects that are signed to us. Um, so there are some areas like Los Angeles County, for example, that have health protocols that apply to all productions regardless. But unfortunately, uh, you know, in most places around the country, that is not the case. And so, um, so performers in that situation really need to be very cautious about what they might expect on set. Yeah, that's, that's understandable. We are thrilled and moved by the response to the podcast. We love reaching actors all over the world, actors like you, who tell us that our podcast inspires them, informs them, and makes them excited and proud to be an actor. Yeah, but make no mistake, an acting career is won by being in the consistent practice of the work, week after week, month after month, year after year. Success for an actor is in the doing. So here at the BGB studio, we offer the highest quality acting training for passionate, committed, talented, and ambitious actors. We see that kind of work transform talent into successful careers, and that makes us so happy. There is no substitute for doing the work consistently, and we offer the work of success. We are the home of your 10,000 hours. We offer ongoing and eight-week on-camera auditions, scene study, and workout classes. They're available now. So sign up now to secure your spot and get to work. Go to bramangarciabraun.com slash classes or click the link for classes in the podcast show notes. We'll see you in class. Can we just jump to the contract for a second that just got... Um, yeah, no, you, were, you were big. <laughs> you fought really hard for that. And, yes. Um, and so in all of that, um, what are just a few of the things that you feel that are, are, are new, mm. both n- new and exciting and important for actors to, to really know? And also, where is there room for growth and improvement, especially with some of the, um, the other side of the, uh, of the coin so that people were saying? Well, first of all, I think that, you know, what's interesting, I've now been in over like 20 negotiations. I was trying to figure out how many I've done. (laughs) Who would ever think that I would ever in my life is an actor be doing this. But what I've really learned is that uh, our contracts are breathing, living entities in a way. And they, we continue to evolve with the industry. So we never negotiate to final. We're always negotiating until the next time comes. We do the most we can in that moment adhere to the biggest, you know, most uh, pressing issues. Uh, We try to, you know, our union is different than other unions because we have a lot of different categories. It's not like the DGA. It's one specific thing. They come in with one or two things. We have a a lot of needs from a lot of members and all righteous needs. So how do we really focus each negotiation to have a purpose? You know, what is the vision in the moment? So knowing again, what you don't get today, if you've, you know, if if you've obtained something that's worthwhile, to do that and then to move on to the next time and prepare for that. So for us, this negotiation, there were several things that were on the table that were very important. One of them was really um, streaming. You know, for for our members, we see it now. I, I can't imagine any more perfect time in our understanding, and this is COVID. The minute, you know, everything was shut down, what did people do? They went home and what were they told? Go watch all your favorite Netflix shows. And, you know, there's tons of things you haven't seen. So go and watch it. And it was all streaming, right? It wasn't appointment television, the classic, you know, uh, you know, there was broadcast stuff that we watched, but that's, it's really people were streaming and binging the shows they had not had time to see. So this was something that, um, you know, was again, progressive. If you think about when we first got uh, streaming rights, that was, we just had to get jurisdiction. That was like two cycles back. We had to be recognized by the studios 
that we also, uh, we weren't only for film and video, but anything on the internet was also our jurisdiction. Once we established jurisdiction, then we, uh, the next time around, we came in to have certain, you know, uh, standards that would be, uh, we'd be included in. And this time around, we had to make sure that we had strong residuals. Residuals are very important to members when they're, not just when they're working, but when they're finished a job, that's the incoming, you know, you hear from people all the time. So in this negotiation, we got a 26 to 45% increase in residuals for streaming. That's like for Amazon, that's, you know, uh, Apple Plus, all these really where everything, all that we see the industry going, this was an incredible boon for um, our members. It's something that's going to speak to not just this cycle. This actually has put us, we talk about being behind the wave or on top of the wave. We are on top of the wave and where we're going into the future. That's where our members are going to make money. This was a very important. This was a $318 million contract where usually we go around 265, 256 to $265 million. This was valued at $318 million. That's real money in our members' pockets. And we needed that to happen. So that was a great boon for us. Um, we also, we got coverage uh, protections, you know, additional for background. We got something, we, we tried to get everybody. Stunts has something. The, the, and we got nudity provisions that had never existed in our contract. And, you know, is there more that we can get? Absolutely. But what we have is really meaningful. We had people from Time's Up in our negotiations. We have been talking with members around the country. What are the, you know, the big concerns? One of the things we got for nudity was, you know, sometimes people feel like they get on set and they're being surprised with things they have to do. And then we, you spoke about this earlier, Stephen, you know, what is it you do when you're there on set and you, you don't want to rock the boat? They're telling you to do something and you feel like, well, if I don't do it, I'm not a good soldier, right? I'm not going to, they're not going to want me. So we have it 48 hours notice of what it is that you're going to do exactly. You get the, the sides, the, the scenes that are you're working in so you can look at it. You have a full conversation so that you have approved. They have to give you, you know, they, you have to sign off on it. You approve it. And so by the time you get to set, they cannot change it without you approving it. It's already been stated. The director knows what it is, the producers, it's in writing. This was very, very meaningful for the members. We also wanted to make sure that um, there was never nudity really against, so unless you choose to do it, you'll never have an audition where you have to be naked. You know, you, you're, you can have those uh, modesty garments, whether they're, you know, how whether it's pasties or whatever it is to cover, and that you are never, they're never to take a picture of you um, in anything that you don't know about or approve. These were empowering moments, what we got in the contract. So there's several things, and I hope that people will go to sagafter.org to look at the exact, we have specifically what we got for nudity, so people can really understand they have the ability to say no. You know, we wanted to make sure, now, Risa, I don't even know if you guys know this, but this was a big thing was, and when actors get on set, that sometimes when they're just like adjusting the lights or they're, you know, they're, they're shooting, but they've taken a break, they don't give cover up sometimes. So there have been people who've been laying there naked and they say, can I have a cover up? No, no, we don't have time. Or, you know, we'll be done in a second. And this creates incredible uh, shame. It's, it's, it feels humiliating and you want to be like the soldier. So we made sure that you have to be able to have cover ups. 
that is unacceptable, even if not for just a scene change, if there is a pause in shooting, you have that. And not only principal performers, but background, because we're finding that backgrounds also being subjected when they're on set and they're, and they're told you're just background. So no, there was like a background person who said to me, she was shooting something outside in her bra and underpants and, and um, they would not give her cover up. So she was out for hours in her underwear, feeling this incredible embarrassment. Well, that's not allowed anymore. I mean, those are really profoundly empower, empowering moments, right? We want people to feel dignity. There are other things that we're going to want to continue working on, and we will. We work on, uh, so those were really great games. And there's so many, you know, those were, I think, the, really the elements of this contract that were really profoundly important. And I, I think that we're living in a really hard times. And what I was really concerned with is the misinformation that was out there. You know, the, the telephone of people whispering to others, this isn't there and there, this isn't there. And we kept saying, go to the site. Go see exactly what we have, what we didn't get, what we did get. Know that it's been the information of what we got. This is not just something we're saying. It's actually been vetted, that it's, you know, legally vetted. So you know that it's the proper language, what we achieved, because a lot of stuff was out there and it felt like gray matter. And when we would sit and have the time to sit down and talk with people, they were like, oh my God, I didn't realize that. Like, you know, we did syndication, broadcast syndication. We changed the formula and they were like, people are going to, you know, lose everything. Well, it turned out they didn't realize we're not talking about cable. We're not talking about streaming. We're talking about 17 shows. And those people on those 17 shows who are receiving a certain residual will continue to receive the same residual that they've been receiving as long as that license fee exists. So we didn't want to infringe on that, but we wanted to create an opening for shows that where you thought maybe thir uh, 30 Rock was not syndicated. I was talking to Alec Baldwin. He said everybody thought it was syndicated in syndicated broadcast, but it wasn't because it was too expensive. Well, now shows like you know, 30 Rock and other shows that you think are syndicated, now they have a new income stream. Is it as much as the old one? No, but they were never a part of that. We wanted more people to have that new income as well as the new income that we have for streaming. And so that's our job, right? We're trying to open up the, the floodgates to different ways for people to receive a, a living. We want to make sure they have protections and safety. That's why we've added language that we never saw before in our contract regarding nudity. And, and guess what? We're going to continue doing that because, again, it's fluid, right? We are just continue to, to, to grow with the industry changes and we continue to put out uh, protections and we keep fighting the fight. That's what we do as a union for our members. And you mentioned that Time's Up was at the table, which is like revolutionary that they were there, which is so cool. And, and, and then, as you know, they asked members to vote no. So in terms of where that rift happened, where, where is the fluidity? Like, go ahead. Go ahead. So what it is, it's not we had uh, we had one of the founders of Time's Up in our negotiations and some of the people who are in Time's Up, it's they're all just people. So some people loved what we did in Time's Up and some people did not love what we did in Time's Up. And I think it's all valid. Do you know what I mean? The idea, what's really important is what we did achieve that's never been there. And for the things that where people had concerns and forget not just Time's Up members outside of just members, there are members who were like, oh my God, I've never been able to do this before. I'm so excited. And others said, I want more. And, and we hear that. Absolutely. And so guess what? Next time we go in, we're going to be doing more 
<clears throat> because that's what we do. But it's it's not an organization, even though it, it came out. We have member again, one of the founders who was in the negotiation. So I think it's uh, you know, it's 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 very complicated, very emotional, very, very emotional. There's a lot of uh there's a lot of pain and a lot of fear and a lot of misinformation. And we're trying, if anything that I really understand is we have to continue really communicating and finding different ways to do it. Cause we really do this nonstop, but we have to be able to reach people in places that they are living rather than us doing it in the same ways, because not everybody's getting to those places and we just have to keep working on it being better. Um, in terms of the whole uh, Time's Up approach to this or, or movement toward it, which I think is not only exciting, but necessary. And we've been working with an intimacy coordinator yeah. who has been teaching us so much yes. about also actors' advocacy, again, coming back to that. Yes. And aside from what's legal and in contract now, what actors have the right to do, even <clears throat> because I worked on a show, I worked on Masters of Sex for four years, mm. and I wish that I had some of this protection for actors yes. then and intimacy coordinators. But, you know, I would get frustrated when somebody would show up to set having signed a, a waiver and a writer and saying they would do this and then saying no. And what our intimacy coordinator, Mia Schachter, I will shout her out here, mm -hmm. <clears throat> said to us was she can say no on the day. She can turn her, she can change her mind. And I was like, but she can't. She's going to just, so I had to learn. Right. To, to, to shift. So I'm wondering what some of that delicacy is in your negotiation and your understanding of, and even what you can say to actors beyond what's on paper in being able to advocate for themselves, advocate for an intimacy coordinator, advocate for those protections. Well, first of all, you always can ask for, you know, in, in fact, you know, I've never heard anybody being turned down asking for an intimacy coordinator. Right. Or you, I mean, that's not something that you can't do. I think that, but, but that's very new. That's very, very new. Really? Yes. Well, you know, so I can talk to you about what we're doing as an, as, as an organization regarding intimacy coordinators. Um, and I, I have to tell you, I was just confronted last year on 90210 with a director who said, do you want an intimacy coordinator? Nobody had ever asked me in my entire life. I, we have been working on this and I was like, that is just mind blowing to me, right? The, the way that the industry is changing and growing, like you said, you never thought of that or heard that. So we really recognize the need for intimacy coordinators. And we've been working with the two top organizations that um, have been really, uh, prevalent within our in our industry as intimacy coordinators and then we also outside of those two organizations other intimacy coordinators all who have had um, a run within the industry and we've sat with them for the last almost two years now actually saying because there's not enough we have 40 really active intimacy coordinators 1500 shows i mean it doesn't you can't mandate in a contract people are saying why don't you have that in the contract and they and they had said for instance this was the misinformation after has it no after acknowledged you know, the ability to go and say, we recognize intimacy coordinators, but they can't mandate it. it. There's not enough. You can't, you can't put it out there if they're not there. So our whole, um, for us is to really make sure that we can, that there is a strong intimacy coordinator universe. So we've been working in the last, again, almost two years with all the top intimacy coordinators and the organizations. And they have been talking to us about what is a good intimacy coordinator? What are the standards? Because you don't want somebody coming off the street saying, I'm an actor. I'll be the intimacy coordinator. 
<clears throat> you don't even know background checks. You don't know what is their what is their ability. There's a lot of psychological. We've been really talking with them about this. You know, if you're playing a pedophile or if you're playing, there's a lot of emotional trauma sometimes behind that. So you want an intimacy coordinator who's prepared to handle whatever that psychological need is. How do you have somebody who can work? It's again, in giving the vision of the director, you don't want to ever take away the vision of the director, but you want to make sure that the actor feels comfortable. So anyway, they are helping us to design a protocols. What they know is to be the most important, a standard that we can expect across the board. And they've started trainings. And some of our members actually are in those trainings. So our, our feeling is the union, it's not enough to say you have to have it. We want to make sure they are exist. We want to make sure that they're, they're really, uh, Again, if you're doing that work as a director, you don't want, I worked with an, there's an actress who came to me and she said, she does this work all the time, um, you know, hyper-exposed work. And she said, I had an intimacy director who actually hurt the production because of the way that they, uh, they kept interfering when we were feeling comfortable, we started feeling uncomfortable. Well, we don't want that, right? We want to have a process and a way for people to, so that there's a unified way and people are feeling comfortable. So that's how we as an organization are really answering the call. And sometimes people say what they want right away. If it's not there, they want it to be responsible. I don't think that people really sit to think about that, right? You don't want, you don't want it to be a bad experience because that could ruin the ability to ever have it exist in our universe. We want to make sure that when it's put forward, it's done in a way that it can survive, thrive, and grow as the needs are growing. And I, so we feel very strongly and we worked, we are working nonstop with uh, the intimacy coordinators, as I said, and I'm looking forward to uh, what's put forward. Yeah, anecdotally, uh, and, and again, this is, these are just, we work with Mia, who's a genius, and I can't imagine her doing anything but creating more space for all the artists involved, yes. but, uh, but uh, and, and just anecdotally, uh, anecdotally, uh, those concerns have never really arisen in terms of the actors we worked with, but uh, but appreciate that it, it would need to be codified. But um, that advocacy, I think, is really important. It's so important, and you know, directors are really learning about intimacy coordinators. When I was doing, when the director who asked me when I was doing the show last year, she said, "You know, Gabrielle, I was working on a, 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 a network that's really well known that does a lot of this, you know, hyperexposed work." And they said to me that I had to have an intimacy coordinator. And she was like, at first, she said, I was indignant. I'm the director. Why do I need that? Right. And then she said, when I worked with the person, she said, I saw that it freed me up. That actually, I knew that that person was, those people were being taken care of in a certain way that allowed me to continue taking care of not just them, but the entire set. And I had faith in that person. How great. So if we can create a real, um, a real type of, uh, intimacy coordinator that helps to serve the overall good experience, that's really meaningful. Again, it's sustainable then because you've done something, you've done it right. I mean, I just don't know how to say it. You want to do it right because if you do it wrong, the downfall is just so far that when you do it right, the uptick is so, so fabulous, right? And it just takes time that I'm glad that you're having a great experience because that's what we've had. We've had a really good experience working with these uh, intimacy coordinators and what they're developing. Yeah, it's it's great that you are and and that you're looking for a way to do it right because yeah. it, it is a bit of the wild west and 
you know, people are just raising their hand and saying, I'm an intimacy coordinator right. now. And like, they have, you know, you have to have such deep empathy and sympathy and sensitivity and, 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 and know how to negotiate on, on every level. And it's really challenging. But again, it speaks to actors understanding that people have their backs and that they have advocacy and they have a voice and they're not the, the low man or woman on the totem pole. Right. You know? They are yeah. the totem pole. They are, yeah. No, I love that so much. And you've spoken also a little bit when we started, just to maybe wrap up here, about you know, you're afraid for actors and you've, you're feeling everybody's pain. Do you want to say a little more about what you want to say to actors, even to hear from your perspective? Because some people are feeling like, I haven't worked in a while. I didn't work a lot before this. I'm certainly not working during this pandemic. I don't know if I ever will again. Yeah. We're hearing a lot of that. And it's be creating a certain amount of paralysis and anxiety. You know, what do we say to people? We know what we say to actors in class and in our community. What do you say to... to well, what to, do you say? You, you first. <laughs> I, what I say, I say there's two different things happening. We're living in COVID. This is the unknown for all of us. That's the part that's scary. I think that, you know, sometimes when we're afraid, we attach it to things, right? Like the fear of what's taking place. Well, what is the union doing for me? What are we doing in the world right now to go and try to make things better? We all have that. And that fear is a real fear. I don't know if I'm going to work again. I mean, I, I can't say to anybody, uh, and we can never anyway as a union, we don't find jobs for people. We help to uh, empower them and to make sure they have safety. That's our job to have strong contracts, but we don't find the jobs for actors. But you know, what I say is if you love acting, continue to work on your craft, that this is actually, I actually have been doing some work uh, with my own craft. It's a, it's a time for me to be able to dig deep and to, you know, take classes. There are, there are so many things out there to keep us feeling vibrant, you know, write some things, you know, self, self create right now. What is it you want to say that's not been said? These are important things in terms of making a living. It's never been a sure thing. I, you know, like you said, some people weren't working as much before. Now they're afraid they're never going to work. That is an honest fear. But, um, I would say don't lose heart in that if we keep create and do the things you love. If you need to find a way to work, you know, there are many different things and I would encourage people, don't just wait for the job. I've always said that even before this was going on, don't just wait. I mean, if we're just waiting, it can become depressing and actually you feel desperate in the audition. That's not helpful to you. It doesn't ever get you the job, but um, think of the things that you love to do. And, you know, I hope that, you know, people are able to make a living in other ways and, it's just a lot of, it's, it's, you can't conflate it, whatever, if you weren't really working a lot before, and you know, I can't say that this time is going to make it so you don't work more later, or you will, things are going to change right now. So I think the honesty part is really important. With COVID going on, as the industry opens, there will be fewer people working, there's going to be fewer productions, and probably fewer people on set in order to keep things in a safer place. I don't like to say that, because that includes me as well. But that's the reality. That has nothing to do with the union. Um, but I think that, again, I think that, you know, in the bigger picture, I, I don't think our work should define us. I think that we are a part of, uh, you know, a community. 
There are great creative things. People are doing readings all the time. There's creative things you can do in terms of making money. That's always been the plight of the actor. And I would say continue being creative on that front, but you do not have to give up the joy of working. And I, I do hope that the work comes back. If we all are mindful, I hope that it does. And I hope it opens up avenues that we haven't seen before, but I, that's my real truth. I don't think, I don't know if that helps, but that's, it's truth. So I don't, what do you say? A lot of the same things, you know, that you're the money that you make or that you even anticipate making does not define you as an artist. And, and that this, the kind of opportunity right now to fully attend to your creative soul, to your artistry, um, ultimately is career building. Because if you're the actor who is alive in this work right now, that is what's going to attract people to you when, as they come out. Because, and also that everybody, we all know this, but actors need to hear this. We're all experiencing this together as union people across the board, all unions, as producers and showrunners and executives, directors you know, everybody um, is feeling the same thing. So as actors, if you can be leaders, if you could have some artistic authority in all this and and be do that in, in any way that you can, other people are going to turn to you, other creatives are going to turn to you f- with that leadership. Right. And, and, and we believe, and that's what we advocate for in class and with our community. And hopefully people are feeling that and just happier beings. I mean, Steve and I are just, we're just happier humans being in, in, in a creative space and creating space for other artists. And how beautiful is that, right? And when you talk about, we live in an incredible time of technology. So that's self-creation. There is nothing that has to stop you from really creating, maybe in a way you never imagined before. And you can actually, you know, work with others in, and, and build projects together, talk about story ideas, you know, do readings together, engage. And I mean, these are things that we can do. And, and if in this moment, everything else is stopped, I encourage everybody take the opportunity because maybe that is what this moment is, an opportunity. And also just, just being in community right now is just uh, so essential and, and, and a particular artistic community, um, uh, you know, a city like Los Angeles can feel isolating at the best of times. And so here we are um, in front of our computers all day, not, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time that what we don't need is social distancing. We need physical distancing. We need social intimacy. And so uh, artistic communities, I think, are more important now more than ever. Uh, you know, I remember being in acting class with you, Gabrielle, and, and the feeling of artistic community out of that and 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 uh you know during these times i think uh, that's essential too it is it is it is duncan any parting words before we say goodbye to to each other just thank you so much for having us on and i think that again uh probably the parting words i'd share is for any for any members who are having uh concerns about covid safety on set please don't hesitate uh, to contact the union. Um, again, our safety hotline is one eight four four safer set And, um, and it, whenever I hear people uh, say like you did earlier, we said that there are a lot of members who don't think about the fact that they should contact their union. It, it makes me sad. So I want to make sure that members know that that's what we're here for. And uh, we do want to hear from members whenever there's a problem like that so we can um, help fix it and, and help prevent it in the future. 
Yeah. And thank you. It speaks to my own sense of safety. Like just even hearing you talking, it helps to globalize this in a really powerfully good way that we have an understanding of what's going on and a way to deal with it. So thank you so much for helping put that into perspective for us and for our audience and and for giving so generously of your time and humanizing the face of the union. You know, thank you for having us on and thank you for helping to humanize it. Truly. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. We love sharing this content with our community. We offer it 100% free, and it's our privilege to do so. If you're loving this podcast and are interested in offering something in return, go ahead and subscribe to The Acting Podcast. Then find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcast and leave us an honest rating and review. Your words will help us bring this work to even more actors and artists around the world. Thank you so much for listening and for being here with us. We love how this community shows up for us and for each other online and in the studio. Come visit us online at thebgbstudio.com. Jump into a class with us. We're here to get you into the kind of shape necessary to be successful.